Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Boomers Today with your host, Frank Sampson. Well, welcome to Boomers Today. I'm your host, Frank Sampson. Of course, each week we bring you important and very useful information on issues facing baby boomers, parents, and other loved ones. And I want to thank everybody again for all their support. So many of you are listening on uh, listening to uh, the podcast on Spreaker, Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many of you go to uh, directly to our website at uh, boomerstodayradio.com. And um, I, I do know for sure why so many of you are uh, listening to the show and sharing with everybody is because we have uh, we have wonderful guests and uh, we have uh, somebody uh, with us today who's returning. We we love to have return guests because uh, we get. Uh, many requests from people saying that they enjoyed that particular guest. And we have with us again, Dr. Rob Winningham, who received his PhD in neuroscience from Baylor University. He joined the faculty at Western Oregon University in 2000, where he served as a professor of psychology and gerontology. He helped create the uh, gerontology department, served as the Dean of the College of Liberal, Liberal Arts and Sciences, and is currently the provost and vice president for academic affairs at Western Oregon University. His scholarship has focused on memory and aging for the past 30 years. He has trained thousands of professionals to offer high quality cognitive rehabilitation and therapy programs. In addition to publishing many peer reviewed articles in the area of human memory and aging, Dr. Winningham has been invited to give well over 1500 invited presentations about memory and aging at various conferences and workshop. His book, Train Your Brain, How to Maximize Memory Ability in, in Older Adulthood, and his latest book is entitled Cranium Crunches, both of which can be found on Amazon. Dr. Winningham, welcome back to Boomers Today. Really appreciate you joining us again. Well, thank you, Frank. It's great to be back. Yeah, so I know that... Uh, we uh, had you before with uh, one of your uh, associates that you work with, and we had a, you know, great educational conversation and uh, on multitasking and, and all that. We might touch on that a little bit on that again, but uh, uh, I, you know, I really appreciate appreciate you coming back and, and zeroing in on. Uh, uh, you know, maybe more on how people could improve their memory and cognitive abilities. All right. And um, so I, I, I guess uh, first question and, and I have for you that maybe isn't obvious to some, maybe, maybe so, but can someone really, as they age, is it just, you know, their memory is just going to go with age? Is there a, really a way to improve? someone's memory ability? 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, about half of our memory ability as we age or cognitive abilities as we age are determined by environmental factors, largely lifestyle factors. So, so it is largely set. It's largely set by how we lived our life earlier. It's largely set by genetics. But about half of this is determined by how we choose to live our life. Um, and, and, and these lifestyle variables uh, include things such as physical exercise, cognitive stimulation, stress, maximizing sleep, um, mindfulness training, and then avoiding certain uh, health conditions. Uh, and if we do those things that are in our control, yes, we can uh, improve memory. With the caveat, that does become more difficult if somebody has mid-stage dementia. Um, but up through early-stage dementia and mild cognitive impairment, the research is clear. We can improve our ability to make new memories. Right. It, you know, and you, you brought up two terms that I think is worthy of further explanation, all right? You mentioned mild cognitive impairment. You know, we, we know that in our industry as MCI and early stage dementia. C can you generally explain the difference between those two? Yeah, even taking a step further back, I, I, I think it is most helpful to view cognitive changes in older adulthood along a continuum. You know, one end of the continuum where we all want to be is, is above average for our age and our ability to, to make new memories, remember what we are doing, um, and, and, and thus maximize independence. Then you'll have, you'll be looking at people that are a little worse than they should be for their age, um, and then mild cognitive impairment. And that is a diagnosis, you know, it's in the, what we call the DSM, the American Psychiatric Association Manual of Diagnoses. Um, and the mild cognitive impairment is, is just along that continuum. Now, it, the, 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 the criteria are kind of strange because it's not supposed to have, you know, a major impact on your, your, your ability to live independently, your ability to do things that we all need to do every day. Um, <laughs> but the reason is it, kind of funny because it often shows when people do get to that stage, depending on how we measure your ability to live independently, it does begin to have an effect. This would be the kind of the stage where family members are starting to be concerned. They are beginning to wonder what sort of supports do we need to put in place. And then people, many people will go on to diagnose, to be diagnosed with dementia. And there's some good, there's some good research on this. It looks like about 80% of people who have mild cognitive impairment right now today will develop dementia within the next six years. And, and it's somewhere, you know, around 15, 18% are the estimates for every year, the number of people with MCI that do develop dementia. And this is important because the research shows we can actually help people with mild cognitive impairment the most. Um, that's where I like to do the research because there's more room for them to improve. They still are aware that they have a problem. They're willing to do things. And there just hasn't been as much brain damage as there would be when you get to, say, mid-stage dementia. Right. So I, I know you addressed this the last time we spoke, but it certainly doesn't, uh, uh, it's certainly helpful to mention it again because I know there's confusion. But, you, you know, we're referring, you're referring quite often to dementia. And somebody might be listening going, well, what about Alzheimer's? So maybe get, give us a quick uh, overview on the, kind of the difference between 
Alzheimer's dementia, maybe other forms of dementia? Yeah, so first of all, with dementia, we need to think of this as kind of a global category. And I, I love to use the image of an umbrella. So just, you know, a mnemonic technique, if you will, you know, imagine an umbrella, put the word dementia on it. And then underneath of that, um, the different types of dementia. Alzheimer's is, is certainly the most common type of dementia, uh, but there are many other types. The second most common is probably vascular dementia um, caused by a stroke, for example. And then the third most common, dementia with Lewy bodies. We get Pick's disease. And there are actually dozens of other types of dementias. And, and, and this is what the, you know, which is important. This is what the researchers are really looking at. You know, how do the lifestyle variables, how do interventions affect these different types of dementia? How do the handful of pharmaceuticals that are available, how do they affect the type of dementia? And also, what's the course? Alzheimer's is probably the longest. Um, you know, if, if, people don't, if people don't die for other reasons, it could be 10 to 20 years from the time a family member first wonders, do, are we dealing with dementia? Are we dealing with Alzheimer's? And, and death, so it's very long. Other types of dementias can progress more rapidly. Um, and then the other thing to think about is that, uh, that many times people have more than one type, and the most common overlapping type of dementia is vascular dementia. So they might have Alzheimer's or another type of dementia, but then you know they have some, some cardiovascular issues, they have a stroke, and that is added on top of the other type of dementia. If we were looking at that umbrella right now, all right, would Parkinson's be under that umbrella or no? Yeah, Parkinson's would be um, under the umbrella. Parkinson's-associated dementia, Huntington's disease-related uh, dementia, HIV, alcohol-related dementia, yes, dozens of other types. So you mentioned something um, that... I. I and again, this is just in my learning. I may not be correct here. I'll let you verify. But in most cases, once someone gets, you know, Alzheimer's, et cetera, unfortunately, it's not reversible. But there may, there are, my understanding, there are certain types of dementia that could be reversible. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I think. We generally think of dementias as, as not being reversible, but some conditions that look like dementia can be reversed. For example, just the, the whole category of delirium. Um, delirium looks like dementia, but it comes on rather suddenly. The most common cause of delirium, particularly in, you know, so say a skilled nursing facility or, or an assisted living community, would be a urinary tract infection. You know, and this is something a lot of us probably have experienced. I mean, I've experienced, a, you know, a, a couple of, of flus that were just so serious, the fever spike, and, and you just you can't really think. You know, so imagine something like that, particularly if the, the individual is a little more vulnerable, they don't have as much to lose cognitively, and, 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 and you can kind of get a sense for what delirium looks like. We often see delirium after uh, surgery. Uh, particularly, it's almost guaranteed after pulmonary bypass, you know, so it's open heart surgery. Uh, we see it after uh, chemotherapy uh, or estrogen therapy or a hormone therapy for, um, for cancer. Um, about 50% oh, of people with a total hip replacement will have diagnosable delirium after the surgery. And we can, we can bring the cognition back in most cases 
when that's going on. Um, another example that it, I'm not really sure where it lands between delirium and dementia, but a very low uh, levels of vitamin B can cause problems, and we have different types of vitamin B, B as in boy. Um, and, and, and many times when we find somebody that has very low levels of vitamin B, that can be driving the, the symptoms we're seeing, and we can stop it in its tracks. We usually need to do vitamin B shots because often people can't absorb it through, their, through the gastrointestinal system, which is why they have low levels. Uh, so in that case, we can um, stop the progression of the uh, what looks like dementia and, uh, and hopefully get people back to where they, they should be. Yeah, so I, I want to ask you another question. It's a, a loaded one. It's a long one here. And then, uh, and then after, we're going to take a real quick break, and, and we'll come back and finish up uh, some other questions I have for you, discussion. Um, so, you know, you hear quite often that, you know, reduce stress, you know, get sleep, uh, you know, th those, we hear that over and over again easier said than done. Um, and, and sometimes I, I, people that are, uh, have stress or are not sleeping well, it, you know, they may go to some sort of over the counter drugs, uh, or pres prescribed drugs to help with their stress, help with their sleep. Are we kind of go, going in the other direction when that happens as it relates to us, you know, helping with, with memory? Yeah, it could be. You know, you're right. It is easier said than done. I think about this a lot. I, I, I love doing research and writing in the area of, of sleep, stress, physical exercise, all, all of those sorts of things. And um, I just I gave a, a present a national presentation about sleep and improving sleep, and then I'm having problems sleeping. You know, in the weeks after, and thinking like, you know, I'm such a hypocrite. You know, I, I, I you know, I'm supposed to be an expert on this, but I still sometimes have problems. Uh, you know, staying asleep, the fragmented sleep, and and uh, something we all need to work on. I think um, you know, kind of like the question about you know, you know, how, how much of our memory ability can we control as we get older? Some of it's genetics, some of it's out of our control. But a lot of it is, and that, that's certainly true for the for the stress and sleep. So I just really want to highlight the fact that there are some good non-pharmacological ways to affect both stress and sleep. They've been shown to be effective, um, you know, particularly with reducing stress and mindfulness training. But people often are curious about, you know, what sort of pharmaceuticals are available for them. Now, in terms of the over-the-counter drugs, you know, I don't really, I can't really think of many over-the-counter drugs that are effective on um, you know, for long-term for stress, you know, people might think of alcohol and things like that. And, and I suspect most everybody listening knows that probably isn't a good solution to manage stress uh, by, by drinking alcohol. Um, some of the other over-the-counter drugs that can affect sleep, um, you know, many of those have, have a drug in them um, found in uh, things like Benadryl. And that has actually been shown that the active ingredient in Benadryl, which is also found in some of these over-the-counter sleep aids, has actually been shown to put people at increased risk for dementia. And, and, and this has been in the news. This is well-researched. This is something people don't like to hear. Um, but long-term use of those, those medications can cause problems. 
Now, how much of a problem it is, you know, whether or not they can be used short term, we need to balance that. We need to look at the potential risks and uh, uh, of the medication and the potential benefits. In many cases, it could be helpful to use, you know, the over-the-counter drugs if very sparingly. You wouldn't want to use them for a long period of time um, and try to get sleep back on schedule. I would say the same is true for most sleep aid drugs that are prescribed. Uh, they, they definitely can be effective. They have less side effects than the old benzodiazepines that you know we, we heard about decades ago, things like Valium. Um, so these modern sleep aids do have fewer side effects, but they still are habit-forming um, and, and can cause problems, particularly when people go off of them. And that's what I'm really concerned about. When people have been on an over-the-counter sleep aid, they're going to need to wean themselves off of it, or I can almost guarantee they're going to have much worse sleep um, than they did after they go off the drug than before they started it. Uh, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind. And many of the drugs for sleep and stress are similar. The, the benzodiazepines for, for stress, or you might get, you know, something like that for a panic attack that can be effective. But once again, short term, because once you go off that medication, if you're on it too long, it can have some, some really um, challenging side effects, uh, we call them the rebound effects. Yeah. There are some medications now for stress um, and anxiety that um, aren't benzodiazepine-like. They're not, they're not like um, what people call tranquilizers or things like that. And they're more related to uh, uh, medications that are used for depression. So selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, those can be effective um, in dealing with stress over the long haul. And people can be on those drugs for many years. Once again, we need to think about how to get off of them and weaning on people off of them, but they can be effective without as many side effects. Great. Thank you for that explanation. So we're going to take a, a real quick break just to recognize our sponsor. When we come back, uh, I'd like to address... Uh, people who, and I'm one of them, uh, who have trouble remembering names. Should they worry? Uh, well, when we come back, we're going to talk about that. All right. So my question to all of you, do you need a senior care advocate for you and or your loved one? Well, Senior Care Authority is an elder care consulting organization that has a national network of professionally trained and experienced local advisors to assist families in determining the right path for your loved ones. They'll discuss various long-term care options, whether it's in-home care, assisted living, memory care, nursing, or if you just need an advocate to get advice from, a local senior care authority advisor can help you now. So for a free 30-minute consultation with an advisor right in your area, contact Senior Care Authority at 888-809-1231, or you could go directly to their website at www.seniorcareauthority.com, and you could find an advisor in your area. We're back with Dr. Rob Winningham. Uh, who's uh, now a regular guest on our on our show, uh, speaking about uh, helping to improve memory and cognitive abilities. So uh, before we get into that uh, question on names, uh, Dr. Whittingham, maybe you could share with uh, uh, with our listeners uh, how maybe they could learn more about the research you're doing, uh, and or feel free to to share with them about the, a couple of books that you've written and. 
a little bit about them and how they could receive them. Yeah, so I have, I have two books that are available. They're both available on Amazon. The, the first book is Train Your Brain, How to Maximize Memory Ability in Older Adulthood. And this is, I, I wrote it to be accessible to, to, to most people, um, but it is kind of a high level, it's a high level review of all the things that science has shown us matter. Uh, so this would be something that's used in some undergraduate courses on this topic, if you really want to go deep dive into different areas. Um, the other book that's available is Cranium Crunch Workbook. So uh, we've developed over the years thousands of um, cognitive stimulation materials. We've tested them. That was a lot of the research I did earlier in my career. And we put them together in a nice workbook. There's a pre-test, a post-test, and um, people can do them with loved ones and track their improvement. Great, great, good. So I'll leave you with a question you probably get hit uh, with all the time. I could probably have trouble remembering names. I can't, you know, I, people that I even know, I have to like think about it until it comes to me to remember their name. Is that, should that be a concern, especially for someone who is, uh, you know, maybe a little older? <laughs> yeah, we do get this question a lot because this is normal. This is something uh, we all experience if we live long enough. The, we, we actually have a term for this. It's called the tip of the tongue state. The tip of the tongue state is something every one of us have experienced. When we know a name, it's usually a proper noun and a name of a person, place, or thing. You know it, you know you know it, but you just can't retrieve it. Um, and it's interesting, the, the tip of the tongue. Somebody wrote a whole book about tip of the tongue states. And uh, one of the things that they wrote about in that book was that this is actually, they most languages have a phrase for this. And, 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 and almost all of those involve the mouth or the tongue. It's as if the word won't come out of our mouth or tongue. It's really interesting. Um, so this is uh, something we all experience. The research shows this occurs twice as often for people 65 and older as opposed to young adults. Now, the good news is that we are more likely to solve our tip of the tongue states the older we are. Um, I don't know why that is, but, but the research is clear on that. Um, even though we have more of them, the proportion of them we can solve is higher. And it's not a sign of a problem. Um, there are some language challenges that would be a sign of a problem related to cognitive impairment. Um, in, the, in, in word finding, actually, if you can't generate a verb or an action word, that is predictive of problems later. So we'll kind of see that often begin in mild cognitive impairment. So worry about not being able to generate verbs consistently. Don't worry about uh, not remembering people's names. And actually, just big picture, I feel like we all need to give each other more grace and ourselves more grace when we can't remember the name. Say, it'll come to me um, and then move on. Don't beat yourself up over it. Don't feel embarrassed. Don't, don't have it affect the social situation. Great, great. Thank you for that. Now I feel better. Thank you. Um, so uh, exercise, uh, you know, we hear over and over again that, you know, exercise is, is something that provides tremendous benefits in a lot of ways, not, not only, you know, helping with memory and cognitive abilities, but, you know, so, so many benefits there. But could you address both types of exercises? There's got the, you got the physical exercises, of course, and then you have the cognitive, maybe exercises, games, trying to keep your mind sharp, 
in, in other ways. Can you address both and how and the benefit of, of both? Yeah, you bet. And, and there is research for both. Um, I've done a lot of the research on, on the cognitive stimulation. And, and what we have found on that, you know, particularly up through mild cognitive impairment, you know, cognitive stimulation activities, if they are done well, if they are done for a long enough period of time, most of the studies will do a three-month, two to three-month intervention a few times a week. Um, that can lead to improvements in our ability to make new memories. Um, so there's a good body of research there. There's a lot of products available. I guess the workbook I just talked about is an example of that. But increasingly, people are developing um, programs that can be done on the computer. Those programs, you know, I think we need to be careful that, uh, you know, it's not going to help. It's not going to reverse dementia. But the research is clear. Doing those sorts of things is correlated with the reduced likelihood of developing dementia later. Uh, and there's good research on that. But there's even more research. Many times more studies have showing the effects of physical exercise on cognition. And when you said both kinds, I thought you were going to say aerobic and strength training, because that's how a lot of this, this field has been broken down. So we know that doing aerobic training, walking, um, getting your heart rate up, you know, breathing more, that has been associated with reduced likelihood of developing dementia. It's also been associated with improvements in cognition in the short term. Actually, later that day and possibly the next day. So there's both some short-term and long-term benefits. But one of the things I think it's important for your listeners to know is that we get independent benefits from strength training, resistance training. And this is where there's been a lot of research in the past five to 10 years. Even somebody that has mild cognitive impairment, you know, really starting to notice some impacts, can have a significant improvement in their ability to make new memories and live independently, therefore, with strength training, resistance training. So lifting light weights, it can be body-supported exercises where people just simply sit up and stand down as many, stand up and sit down as many times as they can from a chair in a minute. Um, we can do uh, TheraBand exercises. So you know, it's like that, that big rubber, the big rubber bands that people use. That has been shown to be effective. So, you know, if you can get into a community or join a, join a gym or just, you know, maybe work with a trainer and bring them into, you know, the equipment into your home, um, that can have some tremendous benefits. Not only, as you indicated, on the cognitive ability, but also on some other mental health variables. So, for example, depression and anxiety are, are, are significantly impacted when we do more physical exercise. And I think the sum of all of this is really exciting. There are things we can do to maximize our quality of life. We're just willing to do that work. You know, so many uh, people now, I don't know the statistics on it, but it's, it's got to be as uh, increased uh, every single day, are going on their phone, on apps, and playing some sort of a game. All right. Any advice to those that are doing that? Uh, you know, in, in other words, if some people feel good that they get onto a particular game and they win every single time, they, they, you know, they feel good about that. All right. But, you know, I have read and heard in the past, for example, let's just say a crossword puzzle. If you're really good at that and you continue to complete that crossword puzzle, you know, maybe you need to get onto something else that's a little more challenging to keep that mind sharp. Can you address all of that? Sorry to throw so much at you there. Yeah, no, that, that all makes sense. 
Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Things When we do things over and over again, we become much better at them. We develop some habits of the mind to do that. So one that I've seen, Sudoku is probably even better than crossword puzzles because crossword puzzles are, are mostly exercising your ability to retrieve previously made memories. And somebody with mid-stage dementia, um, they can still retrieve previously made memories um, pretty well. You know, late-stage dementia, that can be harder. But what the person with mid-stage dementia has a harder time with is paying attention and making new memories. So we've seen that the types of activities, and this is what most of the good products that are available, particularly if you do like a subscription service for a um, kind of a suite of activities, most of them that developed those uh, were aware that focusing on attention, concentration, inhibition, it's what we call executive functioning in neuropsychology, that seems to be more effective than retrieving old memories. Um, but yes, Sudoku is one that I've loved. I, I made a bunch of mini Sudokus so I can get people, to, you know, kind of, you know, train them how to do that. Been doing Sudoku for a long time, and and it's becoming easier for me. You know, some of the techniques I don't really need to think about, and I can almost kind of see where the numbers go. So I should probably change that up, learn something new. It's the act of learning something new where you really need to concentrate, pay attention, which is probably more effective. Great, great. Well, unfortunately, we have to finish up here. I, as, as I mentioned to you before, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but uh, it's very informative. But maybe we could just finish with uh, one question, and that has to do with diet. Um, and I know this is probably emphasized over and over again in articles, but maybe you could help sum it up as it relates to how diet could have an effect on memory and cognitive abilities. Yeah, this is a question we get a lot. It's also a question that uh, is difficult to answer. It's a field that has changed. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat um, untrusting of just one study that kind of comes out in the area of nutrition because I've seen this change over the years. So I'll highlight some of the things that I think are, are, are most we're most certain about. Um, one is, is actually related to diabetes. Control your diet to avoid diabetes or insulin resistance. You know, watch out for the, you know, the simple carbs, the high glycemic foods, because diabetes will affect what we're talking about here, executive functioning, cognition. Uh, the other place where there's a lot of research is on the omega-3 fatty acids. So fish oil, for example, that's mostly what's been studied. It does appear that fish oil is effective um, at uh, helping people maintain cognitive abilities as they get older. It's also been shown to be effective at reducing uh, depressive symptoms, particularly when there's kind of a depression with an anxiety component. Um, so that's an area. Um, do watch out on the omega-3 fatty acids. It is possible to take too much. Um, they're relatively benign, but they do thin our blood or, or act as an anticoagulant, and that needs to be factored in. Tell your doctor if you're on them before going in for surgery or something, certainly. And then some people that are on blood thinners need to watch out. They, they may not be able to take them or they need to work with their doctor on that. Then the other things are, you know, there's a lot of research on on these different types of diet. The Mediterranean diet does seem to be the best in terms of, or one of the best in terms of reducing chance of dementia. So we're, we're eating more omega-3 fatty acids um, and uh, we're, we're eating more green leafy vegetables. And then the final thing I would say is over the long haul, eating more antioxidants um, you know, many of them are found in high levels within, in the more colorful fruit, blueberries, for example, 
over the long haul, that would prevent damage to your cells throughout your body. Um, so those would probably be the highlights from uh, the research in the past 10 or 20 years. Great, great. Dr. Winningham, thank you so much for joining us on Boomers today. Check out his book, or one of his books, Train Your Brain and Cranium Crunches, both on Amazon. Thank you for joining us. Be safe out there. And we'll talk to everybody next week. You've been listening to Boomers Today with Frank Sampson. To learn more about today's show, visit boomerstodayradio.com and join us next time for another edition of Boomers Today. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.